if this is our job, if you can make a career out of growing plants commercially, uh, I would love to do it. Was to really try to lay out clearly the steps for designing and launching and expanding a cultivation site that anyone from any industry could understand. Welcome to another episode of Weed Buds Radio. We are finishing our year here of 2020 with some tips for success going into 2021. And we have had some amazing entrepreneurs talk to us about their journey and about some of the obstacles within those journeys. And we're lucky enough that some of these entrepreneurs write down those experiences. So there's a blueprint for those of us that are looking to get into different stages of the cannabis industry. And I want to start by saying how grateful we are to our friend, uh, Tess Woods, uh, Tess Woods Public Relations or TessWoodsPR.com. As most of you know, she has uh, worked with Weed Buds Radio for over a year now, booking some spectacular guests and allowing us to have amazing conversations with them and in return, helping promote Weed Buds Radio. So shout out and forever grateful to Tess Woods. And now I want to move to welcoming our next guest. Our next guest, Ryan Douglas, was the master grower of Tweed Incorporated, which was, as most of us know, the largest cannabis uh, producer of legal cannabis in Canada. And what an honor it is to have Ryan join us today. Ryan, thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's great to have uh, a fellow Mainer. Uh, it's fun to see, you know, individuals from Maine that have, you know, been moving and shaking uh, across the world, really, in in this industry and seeing uh, I, my friends in California don't believe me that there is amazing cannabis here in the Pine Tree State. And uh, it's proof that not only is there some, that some amazing knowledge can come from here. So I'm really excited to to talk to you. Great. Same here. So... I want to start by asking you, Ryan, when, where did the passion for cultivation come from? When did you know that you were a master grower? Oh, that's a great question. I think it was probably my last year in college. I had been taking some botany courses and a, a greenhouse course, and I realized that, that if this is our job, if you can make a career out of growing plants commercially, uh, I would love to do it. And so immediately after graduating college, I started uh, working in greenhouses and, and I did that for 15 years uh, in places across the U.S. in Mississippi, New Mexico, Massachusetts, Maine. Uh, so I did that for 15 years before even touching cannabis on a commercial scale. No kidding. What took you into cannabis then? Well, it was really dictated by the regulations. So, I mean, I was just too afraid of going to prison. So I, 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 I grew ornamental crops and edible crops until um, cannabis slowly became decriminalized or legalized in the U.S. So, uh, ironically, it was probably the best training I could have had as a cannabis grower was to spend over a decade growing flowers and vegetables and really understanding the basics of commercial plant production because 90% of those techniques directly transfer to cannabis growing. 
that makes a lot of sense at the end of the day. I mean, it's it's growing this beautiful agricultural product from the ground, and I'm sure that there's a lot of principles uh, from the the types of produce that we grow to eat every day to the types of products that that we're creating for medicine. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, like I said, 90% of those techniques transfer. There's really only a, a handful of really specifics when it comes to cannabis that don't apply to other crops. And it's because we're growing a flower that's treated as a medicine. So so there's some, some techniques, some products we simply can't use when we grow cannabis that a lot of ornamental crop growers or vegetable growers can use. But for us, it's simply out of the question. So that's probably the only part that's different. But the majority of growing the crop is identical to, to a number of different horticultural products. That's amazing. And I know that uh, Tweed is a part of, of Canopy Growth, and I know that you were instrumental in the the design and cultivation uh, and, I mean, chose the genetics and really helped build the foundation. And so I would love to learn what, you know, just some of the obstacles were. And obviously, as you kind of trailblaze this in, in markets that were still developing and, and writing the rules. I would love to learn a little bit of what that what that was like going through. Oh, that was a great ride, really the best job I ever had. So um, I think our company is one of the first to begin integrating really greenhouse equipment and technology into the indoor growing environment. So because that was my background and training, that's really all I knew. And up until that point, um, because cannabis wasn't legal, uh, it was really difficult to bring in uh, professional contractors and different equipment suppliers because most people are trying to keep a pretty low profile. So it was the first time that we were integrating some greenhouse equipment and technology indoors and we were really developing things for the very first time. So really the biggest challenge was just trying to expand um, fast enough to meet the demand that was there. So our company Tweed was one of the very first companies in Canada to get licensed. So there was few, uh, few producers. Uh, there was a lot of demand, but nobody was really selling anything yet. So it was really kind of a, a rush to build as quickly as we could and produce as much as we could to meet the demand that was there. I feel like so many entrepreneurs that are on the outside of the cannabis industry looking in, or uh, even entrepreneurs that, you know, maybe they're in one silo of the industry. I, I always find it fascinating that if you're a vertically integrated business, you're truly operating multiple businesses because cultivation is, is its own vertical, retail, processing, all of these things. And so, you know, going through that, there must have been so much experience and just interdisciplinary experience that, that you now have, uh, because I know that you also went in and really looked at the production side as well, and not just the, the cultivation of flour, but then processing it uh, additionally. Well, really, my responsibility kind of ended with what I would call post-harvest. So certainly the cultivation and the growing and then the harvest and the drying or the trimming and then the bulk packaging. So from there, it would go either for sale or it would go to extraction. So uh, I'm, I'm much less knowledgeable on the extraction end. But you're right about the vertical integration. And that's a challenge for any company in a recently legalized state or country because some places require vertical integration. Other companies choose to do it, but it's risky for a number of reasons. One is you have to become expert in every phase of the process from the growing to the extraction and manufacturing to the retail. And on top of that, you need to 
raise a ton of money to build the infrastructure for all of those steps in the supply chain. And then the biggest risk from a growing perspective is that if there is a crop failure or any kind of uh, blip in the production schedule, it brings everything to a halt because vertical, vertically integrated companies aren't allowed to purchase product in from other growers until their next crop comes along. So it's, in my opinion, it's, it's risky, expensive, and probably not preferable, but in, in, some, in some countries and in some states, it's required. If you get a license, you have to do everything along the supply chain. That's interesting. And it seems like it can be quite overwhelming because you're right. I mean, with all of these being their separate, you know, verticals and their separate entities and businesses, I mean, to have, you know, so much knowledge and to have as much knowledge that you have in cultivation and now try to replicate that in new business, new business, new business, it's fantastic that we have a documentation for individuals. And so I know that you wrote From Seed to Success to help entrepreneurs and other growers really understand one, kind of what you went through, but two, you know, how to break this down as a business. And, you know, some of the, the basic business concepts that, that you talked about within, within cultivation planning, you mentioned the capital raise, you know, yield and forecasting. You know, if I'm a first time grower, to me, that's already overwhelming. So I would love to kind of learn, like, how do you break that down? And, you know, make somebody like me be like, okay, you know, this is we just need to take this in bites, but we can do this. So that's exactly the reason I wrote the book was to create a guidebook for entrepreneurs that are not from the horticulture industry, so that they can launch a cultivation business successfully. So what I found in the last four years of working as a consultant, and I've done this internationally, is that when prospective clients would call me in to look at their grow site to, to try to troubleshoot a problem, it was very seldom a technical issue like the wrong kind of fertilizer or the wrong kind of grow light. 90% of the time, it was the result of poor decisions that were made in the business planning phase. And so the idea for this book was to really try to lay out clearly um, the steps for designing and launching and expanding a cultivation site that anyone from any industry could understand. Mm. That so when I think about you know the the prospect of opening a cultivation facility and and what I love about talking about this with you Ryan specifically is I think all of us in this industry we're all working on our on our little focuses right now and and we know that we need to expand to get more vertically integrated and and it can be so overwhelming and so I know you know for me personally when I think of selecting land designing a facility though those seem like things that i need to spend big dollars on an architect and a soil scientist you know is that true or are there things that that i can do myself to to really learn on how to make some better decisions sure so you could save some time and expenses by utilizing some of the checklists and templates that i have in the book so for example when we're looking for when we're looking to select land i have a checklist um, called a land selection checklist. So whether you're planning to grow outdoors or in a greenhouse or indoors, you want to look at a couple of different factors that are pretty important. But uh, what it comes down to is actually it is pretty expensive. So uh, outdoor growing is probably the least expensive way of growing because essentially it's farming. But in places where we come from in Maine, that gives you a very short window of time to get it right once a year. 
Right. So um, greenhouse is another option. It's kind of the more expensive option, but it allows you to grow year round. And then the most expensive option is to grow indoors where you where the grower controls every single aspect of the climate and really has the opportunity to, to realize huge yields, fast production and really high quality cannabis production. That's fantastic. And, and now I'm going to put you on the spot, Ryan, with uh, some, some fire questions that, you know, I just have been coming up, you know, as, as I work on different projects. And so I want to start by asking, what is the primary difference between, let's say, you know, to me, I think of a greenhouse as, as indoor almost. So what would be, you know, the difference of a greenhouse versus this, this climate controlled space? So the biggest uh, difference would be the source of light. So in the greenhouse, we can take advantage of the sun, which is free. And so it really um, uh, lowers the cost of production for a grower. Okay. Uh, indoors, we think about uh, any indoor grow site is going to use a lot of grow lights. And these lights consume a lot of electricity, but they also generate a lot of heat. So a lot of these grow lights, half of the energy coming out of a bulb is in the form of heat. And so not only is the light expensive, uh, it consumes a lot of electricity, but now we have to install an industrial strength air conditioning unit and dehumidifier to evacuate the heat and the moisture associated with it. So the benefit of the greenhouse is that we've got the sun, which is free. And if we want to evacuate heat or evacuate humidity, we simply open the vents. So it's a little bit more environmentally friendly and less expensive to operate, whereas indoors, it's completely artificial, much more expensive and really results in a much larger carbon footprint for the operator. Sure. And is there, I've seen cultivators where they, I don't want to say it's an artificial outside environment, but, you know, for, for those that are, are ignorant about these topics like myself, you know, when I see a big bucket of soil and a, a plant inside, to me that, you know, it's very similar to, to being grown outdoors. And then of course there's, there's hydroponic systems. And so I was wondering, you know, why, why if you're indoors, do some individuals use, you know, soil and why would others use something like hydroponics? Sure. So there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that cannabis grown organically in soil uh, tastes better and smells better. So there's probably the leading reason. And also, uh, it's not any different than growing, preferring to grow or purchase vegetables or fruits that were grown organically. So typically organically grown plants require, because the plant takes the nutrition from the living soil, usually a bigger pot and more soil is better. So um, the reason people would grow hydroponically is because they can do so with much less substrate and in smaller pots and there is a slight less risk of soil-borne disease because there actually is no soil. So generally speaking, uh, organically grown plants, although uh, most people believe that it tastes and smells better, and I'm one of them, typically organically grown plants, they grow slower and they yield less than hydroponically grown plants. So when I consult with companies that are looking to launch a production facility for the first time, I typically recommend hydroponics because it's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's a little bit lower risk and they can realize faster crops and more yield. And then once the company gets rolling, if they want to switch over or they believe there's a demand, then there's always the chance to try to experiment growing organically. That makes a lot of sense. And speaking of risk factors, what are some of the, the primary risk factors of growing outdoors versus some of the risk factors of growing indoors? Because I know there's risk factors with both. 
Right. Yeah. So growing outdoors, the risk factor is is just about everything. So, I mean, if we talk about literally outdoor growing, which is essentially a farm, you've got everything from weather to insects to animals, right? And and it's very hard to keep this stuff off of the crop. So um, the, probably the biggest risk is the last couple weeks of the crop just before harvest. The flowers are really dense if you've done a good job. And so that's what you want. But the problem is that the density of these flowers, it really invites mold. So in the instance you have high humidity for a couple days or one thorough rainstorm, the inside of these really dense flowers become wet and it doesn't dry out very quickly. And there's fungus that attacks cannabis and it only requires a couple hours of high humidity to sporulate and spread. And so that that has got to be frustrating for a farmer that prepares the field, grows the crop all summer, and then in the fall, as they approach harvest time, if there's a bout of cool weather and a couple rainy days, it could decimate the entire crop. Wow. That's scary. <laughs> <laughs> and now versus indoor. I know, like, is there, because there's just always concern for pests, but is there more concern for that indoor versus outdoor? Uh, so, well, there's less concern in terms of insects because um, there's a number of uh, kind of checkpoints where it's very difficult. Most uh, indoor facilities don't utilize air from outdoors. They recirculate it. It's a closed system. They sterilize it and filter it, but that prevents bringing in pests and disease from outdoors. So the insect risk is lower indoors. The disease risk in terms of, uh, of fungal attacks is equal because you've got a a closed growing environment and consider that over 90% of the water that you give to a plant it either evaporates or transpires so these indoor grow rooms have to remove a massive amount of moisture during the day and during the night so if the equipment isn't up to par or it's not built with the correct capacity to dehumidify the environment then you can actually still have that same risk where these flowers can tend to mold towards the end of the crop cycle if the equipment really isn't um, uh, sized correctly. That makes a lot of sense. And for the good thing for, for all of us, you know, out there that Ryan was able to, to write a book that put all of this. And I want to talk about the checklists and the, some of the other additional resources, because you go uh, beyond just providing some content for us to, to learn and start to develop some knowledge and expertise, but you really made it easier for us to understand how to move these things and then turn it into a business. And so I'd love for the audience to learn a little bit more about some of those resources. Sure, yeah, so I've got a handful of things in, in the appendix that I think are of value. Uh, one is a cultivation license application. And so that's especially for groups in new states or new countries as they're kind of trying to wrap their mind around what they need to apply for the license. This is kind of a standard uh, general format and it asks a lot of the questions that these companies should be prepared to answer in a pretty succinct way. Uh, in addition to that, I've got a job description for a head grower. That's one of the most important positions that you can hire for in a cultivation business. Uh, I've got an example of an SOP, a standard operating procedure. And so these SOPs really are the foundation of, of the cultivation program. And so I provide uh, an, an SOP as an example of what an SOP, what the format looks like, and then how it's organized, the information, uh, everything in there. 
Uh, let's see, and also a checklist. As I mentioned before, a checklist that you, uh, some important concepts you want to keep in mind, whether you're looking at land to start a cannabis farm, or you're looking at a greenhouse, maybe that you'd like to retrofit if it was used for vegetable production, now you'd like to use it for cannabis production. A couple key factors to look at as you're retrofitting. And then, of course, if you're building uh, indoors, so, so some factors you want to look at, like power supply or privacy, security, anything like that. That's awesome. And, and for those of us that have tuned in that are obviously going to buy this book, what is the best place for us to purchase it? Uh, so I would direct you to Amazon. I've got both the ebook version and the paperback version for sale there. Perfect. And Ryan, before we wrap up, I know that you've consulted. Will you only consult for our companies here in the U.S. and Canada, or or do you consult uh, internationally? I mean, that is internationally, but you know, outside of the continental North America. Sure. So I work anywhere that cannabis is legal. So over the last four years, I've worked with groups in Canada, the U.S., Puerto Rico, and Colombia. But uh, in the very near future, I'm confident we'll see new countries legalizing cannabis for the first time. And I'd be more than happy to take on a project in those countries. Amazing. Well, Ryan, we are so grateful that you joined us. And what is the best way for the audience to stay connected to you? Uh, so they can reach me through my website at douglascultivation.com. Uh, I've got a, uh, a blog, uh, social media accounts, a lot of free information on the website, and you can also email me directly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. And of course, thank all of you tuning in uh, for mine and Ryan's conversation about his book, From Seed to Success, helping you and all of the entrepreneurs out there dial in your cultivation strategy to start your next business. So Ryan, thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And I wish all of you a tremendous new year. We are going into 2021 and we're kicking it off with some incredible value and knowledge for your business. So always stay tuned and find us. All of the links for Ryan and to purchase the book will be in our show notes at weedbudsradio.com. See you next time.